several weeks ago. I'm, I'm not a Kentucky fan, so I have no idea who you were playing. <laughs> um, but several weeks ago, you were playing in a game, and uh, you had a change in the starting lineup, which isn't necessarily something new for your team. But the change was to remove Willie Cauley-Stein from the lineup and insert Marcus Lee. Now, I'm going to use this illustration acknowledging the fact that Marcus Lee has confessed the same thing. But he started, he won the opening tip-off, and seven seconds later was pulled out of the game. So a lot of people were going, what in the world? Why would he be in the game for seven seconds and then get pulled out? And so after the game, they interviewed uh, Coach Cal, and he said, well, he didn't do what we told him to do. Before the game started, in warm-ups, they ran a, a specific play. They inserted Marcus Lee to win the tip-off, which he did. And then as soon as the tip-off was won, there was a play that they said, okay, this is the play we're going to execute, and this is where we're going to run it. And they practiced it seven times. Bang, 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 bang. Seven times right there. They practiced it. And so he was going to do what? He was going to run the play. Well, the game starts. He wins the tip-off, and he's supposed to go this way, and he goes that way. And so Coach Cal goes, you're out of here. And he pulls him out. And so afterwards they asked, uh, you know, Coach Cal told about that. Marcus Lee, they came and they said, what did you think about Coach pulling you out that quickly because you made a mistake? He said, well, he said, we practiced it seven times and Coach told me to go this direction and I went that direction and he probably should have pulled me out. He understood that. You see, knowledge with a lack of execution is useless, isn't it? Knowledge without application comes up short. I wonder this morning, what I want us to consider is, are we there spiritually? Is that where we are spiritually? If not, are we at risk of that? We certainly are at risk, and we need to, to look and decide, are we there? Because the reality is, is as Bill's alluded to and talked to it briefly at, at various points since Disciple Now, that our theology, what we know about God, drives us to doxology, to praise God, which should then, then be worked out in duology, a phrasing that Dan DeWitt, who spoke to our students, students, you should remember that, the phrasing that he used that weekend, that theology informs our doxology, which drives our duology. How are we living out our faith? Are we applying what we know about God? Are we taking the time of worship here? Is it compelling us to live for God's glory? So this morning, we're going to consider our duology. But as we do that, we need to be aware of two very dangerous extremes. The first one is legalism. We, we talk a lot about legalism because it's very common here in the Bible Belt. But that extreme is that, that we would try to earn God's pleasure, that we would try to earn his approval, earn our way to heaven. Maybe it's whatever box you think would earn God's approval, you're, you're looking to check that off. And so that's legalism, that by obeying a, a list of do's and don'ts, that, that we would earn our way to heaven. The second one, which I think is one that we neglect at times, is that maybe on the opposite extreme, is mere intellectualism. Mere intellectualism is the knowledge that you would have about God void of living for God. It's knowledge void of a relationship. It's, it's, it's knowing the play and not executing it. You see, knowing something only gets you so far. So that's the other extreme that we must avoid. Legalism is common. But we can't react in such a way to that that we jump over to the other extreme and we are content with just knowing about God. 
we, we can't, as Christians, as followers of Christ, just be content with a mere, mere intellectual knowledge about him. The call from Christ was not come and know about Christ. It was come and follow Christ. Jesus didn't say, know about me. Hey, you know about me, know about me, know about me. What did he say? Follow me. Follow me. That's the call, is to mimic Christ, is to model your life around him, is to do as he did and to live as he lived. That's why this morning we're going to open up into the book of James. If you have your Bible with, with you this morning, flip open to the book of James. It's right after Hebrews in the New Testament, towards the end. James, if I had to summarize the book, I would summarize it in this way, is about practical Christianity with the foundation of the Word of God. Practical Christianity grounded in the Word of God, you could say. James was the book written by James, the half-brother of Jesus, in about probably mid-40s. It was written to Jewish Christians. He was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. James would later be stoned to death uh, by the high priest. Um, he, James, if you've read it, I, I hope you've read James. Some, some people don't like James. I, I don't know why. James is kind of, I, I, I like James. It's one of my favorite books. Um, the reason is, is I like, I like it because it's blunt. It's to the point. It's practical. James, James holds no punches. There, there's not a, a lot of times that you look at James and go, what are you trying to say? I mean, James says it. He, he just throws it out there and says it, and then you have to wrestle with it and figure out how to respond. So this morning, we're going to be in James chapter 1. We're going to focus on 21 through 25, but just so we get the, the feel and the context of it, I want us to start back in verse 19. Hear God's word this morning. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, Putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But... One who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. This is a fairly common passage. It's a passage that I would say most of you, especially if you've been in the church very long, are, are familiar with. That you say, oh, doers, doers of the word, be a doer of the word. And, and you would say, oh yeah, James taught us that, be a doer of the word. So I would say up front that what we're concerned with this morning is not whether you know Scripture says to be a doer of the Word. What we're concerned about this morning is are you a doer of the Word? Look back at verse 18. This is a critical understanding as we approach this passage because the foundation for what we understand in verses 19 to 25 
and on into 27 is grounded in verse 18. Look at what James says in 18. He says, in the exercise of his will, God, in the exercise of God's will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. The word of truth. He brought us forth by the word of truth in the exercise of his will. Who did it? God did it. In the exercise of his will. It it reminds you, if you're familiar with 1 Peter, in 1 Peter 1.3, it says that God caused us to be born again to a living hope. It's a reminder of the unmerited grace of God. This is not a works-based salvation. It's not a works-based salvation. James' teaching on faith and works is grounded in Scripture. So that in 1.18, it says we are brought forth by what? By the word of truth. What does he mean, brought forth? Brought forth. We are brought forth. We are brought into salvation. Throughout the New Testament, it's the word that brings us to, to salvation. You don't have to flip there, but 2 Timothy 3.15 says what? That you have known the scriptures that have made you wise unto salvation. That you, the scriptures have made you wise unto salvation. In Romans 10, there's a classic passage, verses 13 to 17, that, that we talk about with missions and the call to go, the call to preach. He says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. But, but how are they going to call if they don't hear? And how are they going to hear if no one preaches? How are they going to preach if no one sends them? So what is the foundation? If you're going to be saved, what has to happen? You have to hear what? You have to hear the word. You have to hear the word. Salvation is grounded in the word. In Acts 20, verse 32, it's the word that gives, the, the word of grace, actually, that gives you the inheritance of eternal life. The word of grace, it gives you the inheritance of eternal life. So now in verse 21, what does James say? He says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive what? Receive the word implanted. Some, some, some would say the word engrafted. The word that's implanted in you. It calls to mind Jeremiah 31, 33. Do you remember that prophecy of of Jeremiah, where he says, where God leads him to say, I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. The word implanted. It's the word that brings salvation, not your deeds. The word brings you to Christ. There's no room for works-based salvation. So here's a truth for you this morning. We'll, do, we'll, we'll look at two truths. Here's your first one. The first one is this. Before you can entertain the idea of being a doer of the word, before you can entertain the idea of being a doer of the word. You must have been brought forth in life by the word. Some of you sit here this morning as an unbeliever. You, you cannot be a doer of the word to earn your salvation. You can do the word all you want, and it will get you nowhere if you're an unbeliever. It isn't a way we earn God's pleasure. You may have studied God's word that leads to salvation, but if you have not received it, if you have not submitted to the Lord and called on him to save you, then you're no different than you were. It's not about just doing religious deeds. It's not about just coming to Sunday school. It's not about knowing those memory verses. It's not about looking like a good kid. It's not about looking like a fine, upstanding businessman. It's about, do you know Christ? Have you received the word implanted? Have you received the gospel? Have you called on Christ? 
Listen, if you have not done that, I would, I would beg you to do that today. Why wait? Why resist? What's the purpose of coming? What's the purpose of doing if not for the glory of God? If you have not been saved and redeemed by the gospel, the good news of Christ, if you do not know the peace of Christ that we talked about earlier, that the Prince of Peace would come, why? That we might have peace with God. You see, outside of Christ, there is no peace with God. If you sit in here this morning and you're not a Christian, and there certainly are many here that are not believers, and we're glad you're here. We want you to be here. We want you to hear the word. But most of all, we want you to hear the truth and to submit to the word and to follow Christ. Because outside of Christ, there is no peace. You stand at enmity with God. You stand at opposition with God as transgressing against him as a bearer of his wrath. But through Christ, the Prince of Peace who came, he was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life, something that none of us could do. And he died a death for you and for me. A death that he did not deserve to suffer and die. And he rose again three days later, promising that if you and I repent and believe, then we will be saved. So unbeliever, do that. Do that today. The whole topic of being a doer of the word is vain until you submit to the truth of the gospel. Believer. James calls us in verse 21. He says, putting aside all filthiness and the remains of wickedness. The NIV says, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. It's a common teaching in Scripture. Ephesians 4.22 says this, a similar thing. He says, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. Lay it aside. Put it off. Colossians 3.8. Put aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech. Hebrews 12.1. Lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles. Believers, put aside sinful living. You are not enslaved to sin. You are not under the rule of sin. You have been set free by the blood of Christ. Live in freedom. Live for him. Live for his glory. As we cast aside that sin, he calls us to receive the word, which is what? Able to save your souls. Able to save your souls. Here's the key. that The, the power of the gospel is in receiving the message of the gospel. You hear that? The power of the gospel is in receiving the message of the gospel. Have you received the message of the gospel? Now we come to verse 22 to 25. The passage, the verses that this is famous for. Be a doer of the word. He says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Listen, if if the call to accept the word implanted, if that combats legalism, because it says you cannot earn your way to heaven, if that combats legalism by saying, listen, salvation is in Christ, salvation is through the word, through the message of the gospel, is able to save you. If, if that combats legalism, that we realize, wow, going to church is not going to save me. Having Christian parents is not going to save me. Living in Somerset, Kentucky is not going to save me. Marking Christian as my religious group on Facebook, that's not going to save me. What saves me is Christ. That combats legalism. That shows us that we're saved by grace and grace alone. What does this combat? This combats 
mere intellectualism. The key word here for James is merely. Verse 22, 22, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. He's concerned that we would fall into a casual hearing and reading of God's word. He's concerned that in the morning we would wake up and we, oh, I've got to do my devotion. And, and so we flip open and, okay. All right, check, done. And we, and we leave and then later somebody says, wow, did, did you spend time? Yeah, I spent time in the Word this morning. Great, what did you read? Um, it, it, you know, I, I've been in Psalms, and, uh, I think it was 28, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's great. So, so yeah, and you go on. That, that you would casually approach God's word and just merely be a hearer. You would casually come in to the, the preaching of God's word. That you would enter in the sanctuary Sunday after Sunday and you would sit there biding your time going, man, what time are we getting to Long John Silver's? <laughs> and, and then you would leave. And, and you would just casually hear it. That you would not receive it. That you would not look intently upon it but you would casually hear it and become satisfied with just knowing. You would come to Sunday school and go, oh man, all right, I learned this great truth, this great fact this week. But it never hits your life. You don't do it. You know sound theology, but you don't live out sound theology. That's what James is concerned with. Let me give you three ways that you can tell you're stuck in mere intellectualism. Here's the first one. If you've become a consumer of good sermons... Have you become a consumer of good sermons? Listen, I think, I think you have the opportunity to hear some great sermons in this pulpit. I, I really do. We're blessed with a, a man of God who proclaims God's word in clarity, with power and conviction every, every week for us, aren't we? And, and we can hear that, and we hear great sermons. There's times where I go away, and I go, man, God, you've blessed us with a great communicator of your word. Man, you can jump online, you can get apps, you're sitting there with smartphones, You've got apps, you can listen to men like John Piper or David Platt or R.C. Sproul or John MacArthur or fill in the blank of who you think is a great preacher. And, and man, we'll listen to them and man, ooh, we just revel in how great that preacher was. Man, that, that was great. Man, we, oh, we stand in applause. Man, what a great sermon. Man, we leave and, and one of us stands out of the door. And, good sermon, Pastor. Good sermon. Good sermon. Ooh, good sermon. We can identify a good sermon, can't we? Or are we more focused on the delivery? Are we more focused on how it makes us feel? Are we more focused on whether or not we can amen or not? Or, or do we leave going, wow, that's a heavy passage. Wow, wow, God's word spoke to me, and we apply it. Second way you can know you're caught in mere intellectualism is that you know a lot, but you don't apply a lot. You know a lot, but you don't apply a lot. I could ask you and say, hey, hey, what do you know about the book of Romans? Oh, man, well, hey, listen, let me tell you. In Romans, Paul said, and you, you just rattle off about the book of Romans. Or I say, man, what, do you know what atonement means? I heard that at church the other day. Somebody said atonement. You go, oh, let me tell you. This is what atonement means. Man, it is glorious. Whoa. Great. But yet, you know all that, but you're not applying it. You, you, can, you can talk about sound theology. You can nod and you can amen with the best of them. But you don't really apply the Word of God on Monday through Saturday. Third way. 
is that you suffer from a theological superiority complex. That you're so proud of what you know that it breeds pride and arrogance around other Christians. I'm so proud in my theological soundness. And I can identify heresy. I can spot it like that. I know what's wrong with that belief, and I know what's wrong there, and I know what's wrong here, and here, and here, and here, and here. Buddy, I know. I know it. But when it comes out to simply living out God's word, it's just not there. Man, James calls us, he shouts, he says, live it out. Live it out. Be a doer of the word. Be a doer of the word. Here's your second truth is that we're saved by faith alone, but that faith never stands alone. We're saved by faith alone, but it does not stand alone. It always manifests itself in works. It always does. Nowhere in Scripture are we called to just know and affirm truth, but, it, for, but for it to be disconnected from our lives. That's just not the reality. Think about Matthew 5.16. He, he doesn't say, hey, let your knowledge be known before all men that they may praise me. What does he say? He says, no, let your good deeds be known before me. And why? Say, praise you. No, say, glorify your Father who is in heaven. He doesn't say, hey, tell them what you know. He says, you live it out and let them praise me on account. Do people, are, are people compelled to praise God by the way you live your faith? Are they compelled to praise God by the way you follow him? Think about Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. What's it say? It's a classic passage. We're saved by what? By grace through faith. Not by works. We're not saved by works. So that no man can boast. But what does verse 10 say? He says we're saved to live out those works. To walk in, in the works that God has prepared beforehand for us. Or are you living them out? Are you, do you realize that you were created in Christ to do good works? Are you walking in them? John 13, 35. It doesn't say that people are going to know you're a Christian because you can recite 1 Corinthians 13. That doesn't make a, a, a bit of difference if you can look at me and say, here's what 1 Corinthians 13 says. No, John 13, 35 says, if you love one another, they will know that you're my people. It doesn't say if you can recite what love is. It says, are you doing it? Are you loving one another? Are you patient with one another? Are you forgiving? Are you kind? Are you thinking of the other person first? Are you doing it? We're not called to know what prayer is. We're called to pray. We're not called to be able to give a definition or to recite this passage and this passage and this passage. We're called to pray, to pray without ceasing. Man, I love the fact that so many of you are going, you know, we, just, we should really be a praying church like we used to be. That's great. Do it. Do it in congregational meeting. I, I just made this simple statement. I said, this isn't rocket science. If you go, man, I wish we would gather for prayer more like we used to, then why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you doing it? If, if you see a problem, fix it. Man, if I'm, if I'm convicted that, that, golly, we're not praying. Man, the, the parents of our ministry need to pray over their kids more. If that's a conviction God's laid on my heart, then I'm not going to go, man, we should be doing it, and sit back and do nothing about it. Man, I'm going to come before the Lord and say, God, help us. Let's do it. Let's do it. You want to? Saturday night, our house, come over. 6.30. What are you doing? What are you doing? Are you praying? Are you praying? Matthew 28, 19, and 20. It doesn't call us to say, yep, we should do missions. 
It doesn't say, hey, you should mentally affirm, you should agree with the church. When they say, hey, we're going to pre, uh, Peru, you don't just go, hey, yep, that's right, good. I'm glad, boy, I go to a church that does missions. No. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 says, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. And this isn't reserved for me. This is the calling for every believer. If you're a follower of Christ, Christ says, go and make disciples. Are you doing it? Are you doing it? It doesn't say go and make disciples in Peru. It says go and make disciples of all nations, which certainly would include our own. What are you doing to make disciples right now? What kind of relationships are you in, believer, in which you are intentionally working to share the gospel? How are you working to make disciples? Listen, I, I'm, I'm thankful that you support missions. I'm thankful that you support our work in Peru and our work in, in Columbus. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that you're so encouraging about Hope Way and Colonial Village. But man, I, I want to I know that you're just making disciples. Maybe it's not there. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Maybe it's in your living room. Are you making disciples? Are you doing it? Listen to 1 John. 1 John 2, 3 to 6. He says, by this we know that we have come to know him. Okay, this, is, this should be waving a flag for you, believer. If you say, hey, I'm a Christian, this should be going, whoa, hey, this is how I know. Man, this is one reason I know. Listen to what he says. If we keep his commandments, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Listen, do you realize that evidence of our salvation is that we live as Christ lived? We walk as he walked? We are doers of the word? Do you understand that? Do you acknowledge that? That genuine faith always manifests itself in works? James goes into more detail. Flip over to chapter 2, verse 14. Listen to what James says about faith and works. He says, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. But someone may, waste, may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. In verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? This is pretty blunt, isn't it? It's pretty blunt. That we're called to live out our faith. We're called to be doers of of the word. He, he's point specifically, he says, can that faith save him? It's a faith void of works. He's not saying, can faith save him? He says, can that faith? This is a specific faith, a faith that is void of living for Christ. Can that faith save him? Listen, you're not called to just mere intellectual assent. You're called to follow Christ. Man, I'm not looking, when I preach, I'm not looking for amens, hallelujahs. I'm looking for people to say, let's do it. Let's live it out. Let's walk the streets, and let's apply what God's word has said. Let's live it out. 
I'm not looking for someone who would say, hey, man, I'm going to serve the needy and impoverished because, man, you guys put on this great Reach 82 thing and turn this, the fellowship hall into this wonderful third world country. Now that you've done that, I think I'll, I'll go do something about it. Oh, man, we're looking for people who would say, goodness gracious, man, Psalms 84 says said to care for the afflicted, care for the oppressed, meet the needs of the needy. God's word said it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow him. It, Jesus says it. That's enough. That's enough. The pastoral staff doesn't have to twist my arm. They, they don't have to step on my toes from the pulpit. They don't have to call me. They don't have to, to rope me into anything. Man, I read it in God's word this week. On Tuesday, I think it was Tuesday morning, I read in my quiet time, and man, I'm going to go and talk to one of the pastors because I'm a doer of the word. I follow Christ and I'm living for him. Look at verse 22. Why is this important for us to hear? Why is this important for us to hear? He says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who what? Delude or deceive themselves. Deceive who? Who's it say? Yourself. This is a frightening thought to me. A frightening thought that, that we could be sitting here this morning and there's people in here that are deceiving themselves people that don't don't understand the truth of of what jesus said in matthew listen to this matthew 7 starting verse 18 you don't need to flip there listen a good tree cannot produce bad fruit nor can a bad tree produce good fruit every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire so then you will know them by their fruits listen to this not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven enter man man it is frightening that there would be some in here that are deceiving themselves some of you may be in here saying man i know the word i know the word i know it but you're not living in obedience to christ that you don't do what second corinthians 13 5 says where paul says test yourselves to see if you're in the faith examine yourselves It is a frightening thing that we could deceive ourselves. James then gives an example in verse 23 and 24. He, he makes a comparison where he says that a mere hearer is like the man who comes. And he, he comes to a mirror. You have to imagine at that time they didn't have these nice command strip hangers right on the wall. He comes and he, he comes to a mirror that's not near as clear as what we have today. It's kind of hard to see. But he comes and he just glimpses and walks away. He's a mere hearer, and he leaves, and he goes, what, was, what did I look like again? He says, but, but the, the one who is a doer of the word, he comes to the mirror, and he looks, and he studies it, and he looks intently, and he analyzes, and he, he mulls it over, he, he chews on the word of God. And he walks away with it firmly planted within his heart and mind. And he walks away in obedience as an effectual doer. An effectual doer. He's not a forgetful hearer, but he's an effectual doer. What then is the result? Look for yourself. What is the result? In verse 25, an effectual doer, this man will be what? 
blessed. Blessed in what he does. Listen, the result of doing the word is blessing. It's blessing. We've bought the lie. Maybe, maybe it's a lie of responding so far from the health and, health and wealth, the prosperity gospel that we say, oh, no, 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 don't talk about blessing, don't talk about blessing. Man, listen, God is very clear in Scripture that he blesses those who are his, and he blesses and follows you. That doesn't mean it's going to be financial blessing. It doesn't mean it's going to be, hey, your life is easy, it's a coast. No, but you will be blessed. It, it means the same thing as talking to the Williams. They're going through this dark time in their life, this trying time. And what do they say? Every time I've talked to them, they say, man, we're so blessed. How can they say that? Man, the doer of the word is blessed in what he does. Psalm 119, that Scott read earlier, talked about following the ways of the Lord, following the word, living in it, walking according to it. Listen, you're blessed as the doer of the word. Listen quickly to Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the symbol. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. And there is joy found in the, in the, the word of the Lord. There's joy found in being a doer of the word. That when we live in in obedience to him, that we are living within his will. Listen, we we wrestle, what's God's will for my life? What's God's will? What's God's will? Man, God's made it clear. Make disciples. Pray without ceasing. Put off sin. Do it. Do it. Man, I'm convinced if we were faithfully doers of the word, we wouldn't really wrestle that much with what's God's will for my life. Because we'd be living in God's will for our life. Let's be doers of the word. So here's the question for you today. Are you content with being a mere intellectual Christian? Are you content with mere intellectualism? Are you content knowing a lot? Or are you a doer of the word? Unbeliever, listen, there's a big difference between knowing the gospel. There's some of you here this morning who are not Christians and you've heard the gospel over and over. And I would guarantee if I said, what's the gospel? You could recite it. Knowing the gospel is much different than following Christ who is the gospel. Would you follow him today? Would you follow him today? Believer, maybe this means that you step back and go, man, I... I, I've been content with just knowing Scripture. I, I've been content with, with coming out and going, wow, that was a great, man, that was a great message. And then next week, I can't even remember what it is because I don't just simply apply it to my life. Are you content with just knowing theology? Or are you actively seeking to live it out? Are you seeking to make disciples? Are you a doer of the Word? Are you faithfully living in obedience to your Lord and Savior? It's not a works-based salvation. It's living obediently to your Lord. Bow with me for a moment. I want to ask you a few questions. 
as the instrumentalists come up and prepare to close us out. I, I want you to, to think about these things. Maybe, maybe you need to just come before God and just between you and Him for a moment, just ask God to guard you from a legalistic works-based religion, but also to guard you from being content with just knowing about Him. Would you just right now ask God to grow your faith, your dependence on Him, and your obedience to His calling in your life? Maybe, maybe you just need to ask God to show you what does it mean, God, for me to be a doer of the Word? Where, where are you living in disobedience? Maybe, maybe you need to, to put aside something this morning and be a doer of what God has commanded. What's the first step? Ask God, God, what is just an initial step I need to make this week to live in a greater obedience to you? Maybe that's receiving the gospel for the first time, unbeliever, Christian. Maybe it's simply applying something that God has been convicting you of. And living in obedience in an area of your life that you have not been previously. Father, we come before you this morning as people in need of your grace. God, some in this room need your grace to save them. God, they stand outside of your will. God, they stand opposed to you. And, and God, they need you to do a work of salvation. So God, I pray that you would do that this morning, that you would bring one to salvation. God, others, God, of us, we, we have areas of our life, God, where we just struggle. And God, none of us are perfect doers. God, I certainly am not. God, we pray that you would work in our lives a, a deep desire to follow your commands, to live out your call upon our lives, God. God, give us the faith to step forward in areas that, that you have convicted us of, God, in areas where your word has exposed sin in our life, God, or in areas where your word has exposed a need in, in our own family, or our own life, or maybe in the life of our church, God. Give us the faith to step out and, and to be a doer of the word. To take some leadership there, Lord. God, our desire as your people is that we would live our lives in such a way that men see our good works and they don't praise us, God, but they glorify you as King of kings and Lord of lords. In Christ's name we pray.